calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. You are the only one getting the family back together this week. It's episode 446 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Hopefully you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, if you celebrate that, and you know, we have tons of friends and family over, and guess what? The family of Criminal Minds is back together because Criminal Minds Evolution is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I got a chance to talk to the cast about coming back for the show, or at least a couple that came back. Joe Montana, also Kirsten Vagnus talks to me as well, Vagnus, and then Zach Guilford, who plays the unsub this season, got a chance to chat with him about that as well. So we'll talk about that. I'll also talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Holiday special, the new Netflix movie, Slumberland. Yeah, Bob Iger's back at Disney. I'll talk about the impacts of that and so much more as well. So up next, hey, let's talk about Criminal Minds Evolution. We'll start with Joe Montagna and talk to the rest of the cast next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Spotify from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. After all these years, Criminal Minds is back, but it's a little bit different this time. Moving to Paramount+. Plus. Criminal Minds Evolution, and boy, there's so much to get excited about. Whether you're a Criminal Minds fan already or if you want to start watching the show, this is a good chance to do that. I got a chance to be a part of some roundtable discussions with some members of the cast, including the great Joe Montagna, and he's up first and talked about returning to the show and returning to this character, which was amazing. It's been great getting back to it. I mean, it's it's a character I played for 13 years, and outside of playing Fat Tony on The Simpsons, it's my longest-running role that I've done in my career. So for me, to, to, to jump back in, what, what I like about it and what I've appreciated is the fact I've always felt that we had a high... Our, our writing staff is just really high quality. I mean, I think the stories we tell... Are, are, are good and intriguing. I mean, it's no mystery why, in a way, why the show's been successful as it's been around the world, because, you know, uh, and, and I always attribute much of that to, it's gotta be on the page. If it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. So my feeling is I'm, I'm happy that, that we're back and back in a way that it is an evolution. I really think the stories we're telling now, if anything, we have less restrictions, so they're stronger 
I don't know if darker is the right word. I don't know if it could have got much darker, but but in a way, it's more realistic in many aspects. And so I think I, I've really been able to appreciate that. And I think we found a really good place in the streaming world to be able to tell these stories again. So if you've seen the first episode, you already know what goes on with Rossi and the amazing storyline that is tragic one at that. So I had to ask Joe Montaigne about that performance. Hi, Joe. James with him down on Nerdy Podcast. It's an honor. Appreciate you taking the time to do this today. So your character in this first episode of this season, I think, has an, an incredible episode. You do a fantastic job in it. What was it like just in that first episode, having your character in that space? I don't know if we want to spoil anything, but having him in that space, and especially the ending of the first episode, I thought was incredible. So what, what was that like for you? Yeah, well, it was challenging and it was great. I mean, again, I, I point to the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed and impressed by what these writers come up with, because I had no idea where, how we were going to start this new season and where everybody was going to be and what was going on. But I, 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 when I first read that first script, it was like, okay, <laughs> you know, David's got a, certain things have happened in his life that he's going to have to deal with now. So, but as an actor, you know, these are the things you, you hope for. You appreciate the fact that, that there's going to be some depth and some, and, and some, and, and you'd have to tap into certain kinds of places and emotions and, 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 and different aspects of, of, of your character that maybe you haven't had to do to that extent before. So I, I've enjoyed that and I've, and I've enjoyed every subsequent episode from that first one on in the sense of being able to like, okay, we really are an evolution. This is, we're, we're taking this show to the next level and I'm happy that we're doing that. Someone also asked Joe Montaigne about getting the Criminal Minds cast back together and the fan base being excited about the show coming back. And he, what he said, and there's a story that he tells in this that I thought was truly amazing. I had to share it with you. Well, the fan base has always been, you know, that it's what, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. I mean, without, without the fan base, we're just all just kind of amusing ourselves, you know, filming ourselves for, for whatever reason. But in our fan base, what I love about it is, it is the depth of it. Because I think about fan mail I get. I mean, I get a, a, a pretty decent amount out of like China and, and Russia. I mean, I recently opened up one from the Ukraine. And, and, and they had sent a return envelope to, to send them a little kind of a, a little to sign a little photo they had sent. And I sent it back and that envelope was returned, undeliverable. And I tra and I looked at the address and I traced it down and I realized this was a this is a city in the Ukraine that's under Russian control now. And I thought, wow, how interesting. Here is this young girl. She was like a young, like a 17 year old girl who wrote this beautiful letter to me about how much she loved the show. And I thought. And here, here's a, here's a thing where you know life and art kind of collide, and I think here's an instance where a fan, God bless her, is just trying to get an autograph from this actor of a show she loves, and she's not able to get it because of politics in the world right now, and so because of that, I use that as an example of how important our fan base is and how much I respect them and and, and appreciate the fact that there are so many of them, and if, if it was if they weren't there. At, in the multitudes that they are, I don't think we'd be back on the air, but we are, and hopefully we'll be able to provide, you know, continual, you know, entertainment for them. And hopefully I'll be able to return that letter to her and she'll get it next time. And then finally, someone asked Joe Montaigne, you know, what can you, what are you bringing to this season to make it different that you might not have brought to other seasons? And he kind of opened this answer up a little bit. That, that's, a, that's a similar question I could probably ask myself is just be, as Joe Montaigne. In other words, what what is it that's going to make 
me, the man that I am different this year from next year and then years following. I think one aspect of it is something that we all face is that you have to just take it a day at a time. And like, we don't look in the, you know, I'm not a big person to look in the, you know, I don't go to like psychics and stuff and think like, I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. I don't want to know that because my feeling is let's cross that bridge when we get to it. And so it's, it's just that everybody, one of the models I go by is everybody has a story and nobody gets a free ride. And that's true of every human being on the planet. So we all have our own little stories and we all, but none of us get a totally a free ride. I don't care who you are. You can look at somebody and say, oh, that person, that's the luckiest person in the world. Yeah, you dig deep enough. There's always going to be something. And, and, and so, so it's just that. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see where that takes me and where it, where it takes me as Joe and me with the character David Rossi, and I'll, I'll embrace it, whatever it may be. Speaking of other returning cast members, Penelope is back. That's right, Kirsten Vagnus also joined me around this roundtable to talk about Criminal Minds Evolution, and it's such a deep and heavy show, I had to ask her about bringing a little bit of lightness and comedy to the role as well. Hi, Kirsten. James Witham of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, James. So this is a heavy and intense show, to say the least. What is it like for you to have Penelope come in there and sometimes like be the comic relief, be the brevity in some of these episodes that just have a lot of heavy stuff going on? My personality stuff, I remember when I started acting, I was like, okay, I would do drama. I would do dra- and I would do dramatic things and people would laugh. And you'd be like, why is that funny? And I would write things. And I'm like, this is deep from my being and it's and people would laugh. And my, so it's easy, I think for me to like, just go and do something because apparently just me doing things is funny to people, like pleasurable to watch me like kind of figure it out is, is pleasurable. And I think that since Garcia and I are neighbors and I'm her guardian, that same thing would happen. And I get to do a lot in this season, a lot more than I've ever gotten to do before. So it's an honor to, to be the comedic support of the, of the creepy tower. The next question that was asked to Kirsten was kind of a two-parter. First of all, asking about, you know, if we were going to find out more about Penelope's backstory, if that was kind of, if she tried to prepare a little bit of a backstory of where she's been these last couple of years and also what it's like to play a woman that's, you know, it's really strong and smart and dealing with technology and things like that. So here's what Kirsten had to say. Backstory stuff in terms of it, they actually, Erica Messer wrote us all and was like, what do you think you were doing? You know, so it actually made you go like, so I was like, and then she was like, how do you see yourself entering back into the world? I actually wrote her and said, in roller skates with an ice uh, sculpture of David Rossi. We couldn't do that. Also, I pitched having a uh, rescue cat that I named Morgan. Uh, we couldn't do that. But like we did other things. And yeah, I mean, really is informed by how all of us changed during the pandemic and the choices of expansion or contraction that we made. So there's that. And I got to say, it is such an honor to play the character that I do. It's an honor because I am one of those people who's sort of nerdy and gets told, like you get told these stories that aren't true, but you get told these stories about as, as feminine bad creatures, we have to look a certain way. We have to act, we have to be a certain size to gain love, to gain things. You know what I mean? Oh, if you look like that, then that means you're not healthy. If you talk like that, that means you're not sexy. If you do, like, if you wear glasses, you're not this. If you, if you don't have the right, and it's all based on this external stuff and not on 
like the pleasure that it takes. And like, this is how I choose to look. And this is how my body shows up. And this is, these are the things that, and I have my own Kirsten it trips up about that. Right. You know, like I watch episodes and I go, Oh wait, Oh, Oh, there I am. And I get all freaked out. And then I, and then I go like, wait, you know what? There I am. Like, and, and I, I remind myself that like, and it's, I do that. Right. I have that thing. So to be her, I really, really know in my bones, like I'm lucky to play her, but like, there's so many Penelope's out there and any any moment they are that Penelope so it's so pleasurable when people are like oh my god she's and it's like yeah because I'm you you know what I mean like I'm a reflection I get to take in all of that and like do my best to keep her in integrity which is very it's I I do not take that lightly I'm I'm very reverent about it and appreciative of it so one of the things I love about Penelope is that she's a hacker and she does get her nerd on so I had to ask Kirsten about that and how fun those scenes are. And, you know, if it, you know, it's easy to get lost in that world a little bit. So I'd ask her about that as well. All right, Kirsten, I want you to get your nerd on here for a second, like you said, because okay. what, what I love about Penelope is once she gets in the zone, once she's doing her thing and she just locks into that place, I just love watching her in that, in that mode. So what is it like for you to be able to, once you get into that, you know, the keys start clicking, the hacker mindset starts popping in. How much fun are those scenes for you? And, and do you get lost in any of that sometimes? You know, it, it is for me, it is that is one of the situations where I have to use my imagination and my confidence of like, she knows how to do this. So I use like the collective unconscious of she knows how to do this, you know, and Penelope has this like iconness, iconicness, right? In both her hackering and like the way she chooses to dress and all of that. And so, like, when we started this season, that we had a new crew and they were like, you can't pound on those keys like that because they gave me a different keyboard and I'm like I'm sorry I have to look this up and they're like no we can't see your hands I was like I who cares like I still have to look it up you can't expect what it, how do I find the there's nothing here by the way you guys meaning when I'm doing it like it's all just the camera is here and it's imagination but I need to do so they have to get me like a rubber keyboard and also I don't know how to type, but Penelope can type really fast. So it's, it's nice to be able to know how to type again. That's fun. One of the fresh faces of the cast this year is Zach Guilford, who plays the unsub on Criminal Minds Evolution this year. So it was great to get a chance to get to talk to him about that role. One of the first questions asked in the roundtable was how he entered this world of Criminal Minds and how he approached the role as well. Well, you know, initially I got my team called me and they're like, hey, you just got offered a role as the unsub on Criminal Minds. I'm like, oh, cool. They're like, we have the script and I read it. It's just the first script. I'm like, I don't even talk. <laughs> they're like, yeah, the producers want to, they want to zoom with you and kind of explain the role because now it's Paramount Plus and they're doing it different. And I was like, all right. So I got on with them and they kind of laid out this character for me and it sounded so awesome. Like, and I wasn't aware that now on Paramount Plus, they're doing it different. It's, you know, one 10 episode season as opposed to 22. And they're like, and we want one unsub for the whole season. And we're going to, do something we've never done before and go home with him and get to know who he is in, in the real world. And this is kind of his origin story. And this is the arc we see him having. And I was like, this is an amazing character. Like, and they're like, yeah, we're really excited about it. We've loved the show for 15 years, but now with this revival, we kind of have a chance to kind of mix it up a little and still do the characters and the things we love, but do them in a slightly more elevated way. And I was like, I'd love to be a part of that. And it's been such an awesome job, everyone. It's just such an amazing set. 
So for me, I thought this was probably the darkest character that Zach Guilford's ever played in his career. So I wanted to ask him about that, see if he agreed. And, you know, how do you get in the headspace of a character like this? Zach, good to talk to you today. Appreciate you taking the time to do this. Yeah. You played a wide range, man, of characters in your career, but this one might be arguably your darkest yet. So how do you get in a headspace to play a guy like Elias? It's definitely the darkest character I've done, but I think I'm just the kind of actor where, I, you know, they yell action and I'm, I know my lines <laughs> and I'm in the scene. I mean, I had an acting professor and he was like, all acting is, is know your lines, know your blocking and don't bump into the furniture. And I've kind of like taken that to heart. And it is when you get in the scene, the writing is so good that if you're saying those lines and you know who the character is, you just kind of click into that headspace and the directors have been amazing, you know, giving me notes that kind of, you know, deepen the character and make us all, we're all finding out who he is as we go along. But, you know, if you're in like a shipping container killing someone, it's just dark. You don't need to get, like, it just is what it is. And you're in that headspace pretty quick. One of the next questions that was asked, I thought it was a really smart one. You know, when you're playing a bad dude like this, the, the journalist asked, you know, how do you take your judgment out of it in order to play a character like this and make him like believable and make him real. And I thought Zach's answer was pretty amazing. I'm rooting for every character I play. <laughs> like I kind of am going, my wife said to me, she's like, oh, I know what you're going to do. They're going to try and make everyone like you, even though you're the serial killer. And I was like, yeah, cause it's me. And like, if it were me, like, I don't like, if I'm serial killing, it's cause there's clearly something wrong with me. It's not my fault. <laughs> and like, I want the audience to feel it's not my fault. And they're rooting for me. <laughs> so but the writing really has done that. It's so interesting. I think getting to go home with Voight and see who he is in the human world and not the monster world is really going to kind of be confusing for the audience because in those scenes, you see this guy that I think you're going to kind of root for and you're going to lose track of the fact that you were just watching him murder someone or whatever he was doing. And that's going to be, I think, I know it's been fun for the writers. It's been really fun for me to play. And I've had scenes where they'll yell cut and the director will come over and be like, oh my God. I felt so bad for you. And then I'm like, no, ugh, he's a serial killer. Finally, my last question for Zach was, you know, what's it like being the new kid on the block, jumping into a show where you got a cast that's been working together for like 13 plus years. So Zach, you're joining a show where a lot of the people on the show have been doing it for like 13 years, 15 years plus. You're joining a group that's been together for a long time. Even as the antagonist, what's it like being the guy that jumps in to an environment like that? It's, you know, going in, it was a little like nerve wracking, but like day one, it was so not a thing. And then there's a couple of factors. A, they're the nicest cast and writers I've ever met in my life. I mean, they brought me cookies. Some people stayed after work just to introduce themselves to me. And then the second thing is because it's, they're kind of rebooting, reviving the show. They want it to be a little different. So everyone's like, this is, it's a new show. It's not the same. And most of the crew is actually new. So they're not like, oh, we've all been doing this forever. And because I'm so isolated as the unsub, I'm usually the only person on set or I'm working with, you know, a victim or something. And so it feels like, oh, this is my show. Like, <laughs> even though I'm low man on the totem pole, it's like, I'm kind of number one on the call sheet right now. And it let me build my confidence. And everyone's been so complimentary that I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm doing okay. <laughs> and I think that's a good point that Zach makes right there at the end, because it does kind of feel like a new show. In a way, I've seen the first couple of episodes. Obviously, the show's now streaming on Paramount+. Plus, So you've seen it as well if you've gotten a chance to watch it already. And it, there are some familiar vibes there, sure. But it also does feel like a new show. It feels deeper. It feels heavier. It feels more intense. feels like the stakes are higher. And maybe that's the move to Paramount+. Plus. 
where you can do something like that. But this reinvention of Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds Evolution, is definitely something you're going to want to add to your watch list. Make sure you do that now as it's now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Again, thanks to the cast of Criminal Minds Evolution for joining me to talk about this brand new slash revival of the show this week. Up next, going to get in the holiday spirit with Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special streaming on Disney+. Plus, and I'll give you my review next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is David Sobolov, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas and certainly does on Disney+. Plus. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which we've heard about for such a long time, is now streaming on Disney Plus, I want to go ahead and give you, let's do kind of like a spoiler-ish review, because I don't really want to reveal everything in case you haven't had a chance to see it yet, because I know you've got somebody in your house, you've probably been waiting for them to be able to watch it together. But you know the gist of it, right? Is that, you know, Peter's had a rough life, he's had a rough time of it lately, you know, with everything happening with Gamora, and, you know, just the, everything that's happened since Infinity War. So they thought, okay, you know, the team thought, let's just try and give Peter the Christmas that he deserves, you know, bring back the spirit of Christmas. And apparently he had an incident also in his childhood about Christmas that, you know, made him maybe not be in the most high of Christmas spirit, but he loves Christmas. And you know that one of the things that Mantis and Drax wanted to do was go get Kevin Bacon and bring Kevin Bacon to Peter. And and that is such a hilarious... You get to see the whole thing, by the way, the whole, the whole them going to try and find Kevin Bacon thing. And it's really hilarious watching Drax and Mantis go down to Earth just in general, but the whole once they find Kevin Bacon and how that all goes down is like classic holiday movie hijinks. And I don't know how they were able to, able to mesh that with like the Marvel style, but also make it like a classic, like holiday, crazy holiday movie at the same time, you know, you incorporate the Christmas decorations and things like that. And there's something that Drax loves and there's something that Mantis loves and being able to mix all of these things together, I thought was really, really fun. So it's marvelly. And Christmassy in the most wonderful ways in, in certain parts, which is one of the things that I, I I found really fun about it. And also at the same time, like the fact that it's Kevin Bacon in like quintessentially 80s 
and they find when they find out who Kevin Bacon really is, Man- Mantis and Drax do. There's a hilarious reaction to that, and you know, and as things tend to do in these Christmas type specials, things sort of unravel and go out of control a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that at all, right? It's part of the the magic of the Christmas hijinks of Christmas movies and specials and things like that. And Peter's reaction to it is very interesting, to say the least. The only gripe that I have about this special is that there's a point in it where, and it's after Peter's reaction, where I feel like they kind of skip over a really important part of things, like it was like it was there and it was edited out, like, nah, we don't need that. But then, And I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm not going to spoil that part of it. But I think that it, you'll find that you're like, okay, well, what happened to that? So all of a sudden we go from this to this. How did we get from this to this? And how did they get everybody in this particular space? And they, and they got to this point to do this. So that was my only gripe about it. And that's only like an editing thing. And it's not even that big of a deal. It's just, it is a little bit distracting when you go from the thing that you just saw to the thing that you see next. If, and that'll make total sense when you watch it. And if you've already watched it, you'll probably know what point I'm talking about. There's also a much, very much deeper meaning to this special than you would think. There, there's a uh, family secret that is revealed, and, and I'm not going to spoil that for you either in case you don't know about it, but there's a family secret re- that's revealed. And once you find that, you find out about that really, really early on. And once you find out about that, you're like, okay, I know where this is going. You kind of know what the end game of this special is going to be. But at the same time, that doesn't make it any less awesome and any less amazing. Just because you kind of know where things are going to go at that point, that doesn't mean that it's not incredible. And once you get to that scene, it's really, really amazing and, and just done so well. And the chemistry is off the charts in that scene too. So just because you think you, you're like, all right, well, I figured this out already. Well, yeah, you probably have. But you're going to want to stick around to see it anyway because the way it's executed is just amazing. And one of the other things you're going to love about this too is the music. And James Gunn's always very particular about the kinds of music that he has in in his shows and in his movies and, and how it's placed and how it brings things out. The weird, wacky holiday and Christmas songs that they have in this thing is just so funny and so... It's one of those things where it'll probably end up getting stuck in your head eventually, especially the first song I think is particularly hilarious. Like if you weren't from Earth and you tried to figure out what Christmas was, that's one of the songs that's a part of this. And then there's other songs mixed in there as well as, as you, you know, you're in nowhere and you don't know anything about Christmas in nowhere. And there's also a scene with Groot, which is a scene that you'd pretty much expect. It's one of the end credit scenes. That's the only end credit scene that there is. So yes, there is one. It's right at the end. Stick around for it because it's exactly what you think it's going to be. And it's hilarious at the same time, but they mix in so many great things. There's, there's heartfelt holiday moments in this thing. There's hilarious holiday moments, the hijinks that you expect from a holiday special like this. And the, the Marvel vibe is still there. There is an amazing callback to an earlier Marvel movie in this, and it involves rocket. And it was one of the, Low-key funny moments for me in this Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Didn't expect it. Yes, you will remember it. You will know it when you see it. And you'll probably laugh as hard as I did. So bravo to James Gunn and company and, and the entire cast of Guardians of the Galaxy for executing a very quick and very effective and very fun holiday special. I hope that this is one that we can enjoy 
every holiday season. So yes, please keep it on Disney Plus and don't pull it at any point because I, I think I'd watch this even outside of the holidays. That's how much fun it was for me. That's my review of the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. It's now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Up next, how about we talk about Slumberland, the new Netflix movie with Jason Momoa. Loved it. Going to tell you why next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Making the wonderful world of dreams come alive. Slumberland has hit Netflix. been out for a little bit now, so I'm going to go ahead and get my review of that. Maybe we'll drop a few spoilers here and there. If you're not really familiar with the story. It's about a young girl named Nemo. She lives in a lighthouse with her dad. And basically something happens to dad. She's got to go live with her uncle. And she discovers that a dream world that her dad used to tell her about in stories before bedtime was actually a real place with a real character named Flip. He's an outlaw played by Jason Momoa, by the way. And it's interesting about this Flip character. And you find out more about Flip as the movie goes on. So it's not just a story about Nemo and the young girl who's lost her dad and trying to navigate the world after that. It's also, you know, you find out that it's a little bit more about Flip's story as well and who Flip is. And he's not just this, you know, flamboyant dream character that there's actually more to it than that, which I kind of liked. I kind of liked that we got a little bit of both sides there. We got a little bit about him, a little bit about her and the family. And then, of course, the, the uncle, Philip, played by Chris O'Dowd, who is one of those people that's like, you know, I'm a li- I live alone. I'm a single guy. I have no idea how to raise a child. So he gets to see him go through that. And he's kind of a boring dude, too, which is interesting. And here's the thing. When, when you see the Flip character, to me, I, it was like a cross between, like, Beetlejuice and remember the movie Little Monsters or Little Monster? I think Fred Savage was in it. It seemed, it seemed a little bit like that or that movie with Phoebe Cates. I wish I could remember the movie, name of the movie with Phoebe Cates, where she was there, she had like an imaginary friend monster as well. Somebody's probably already tweeting it to me because I can't remember it. Remember it, but that's kind of the, the vibe that I got. There was a little bit of there was a little bit of Beetlejuice esque to it. Drop Dead Fred. That's what I was looking for. Okay, when he wasn't really a monster, but you know what I mean. So uh, it was kind of a mix of those things. And yeah, there's times where he's fun and he's crazy, but there's also times where he's very unlikable. And there's also times where the dream world gets a little funky, and I like that it gets a little funky. Sometimes, if anything, I could have had it get a little bit more funky than it was. We get to see just a few dream worlds, although I was thinking about it. I was like, man, you know, I wish we could have seen the dream world a little bit more. We could have seen Slumberland a little bit more. But then I thought about it, and I was like, you know, if they'd have done that, they would have really, it visually it would have been cool, but it kind of would have taken away from the main story. And I was actually invested in the main story of, of Slumberland. And then there's also these dream cops, as Flip likes to call them, that, you know, because you're messing with people's dreams. You're actually going into other people's dreams. And when you're messing with these dreams, there's a, you know, it's, it's, like, the, it's like the TVA from Loki, except it's for dreams. So that's, and you get, and they have, you know, these certain like cool weapons and things like that, that they use to try and take Flip down. And there's like a most wanted list. But without getting too much, I don't want to go, you know, detail for detail into this movie, but suffice to say, it was interesting. Did it blow me away? Did it, was it this huge magical thing that I really hoped it would be? I don't think it got that far. But at the same time, I'm seeing some criticisms of the movie. And, you know, some of them are legit. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, this was just kind of a fun ride. And this is one of those things like where if you had older kids, I'm not sure this is one for younger kids that they're really going to get it or they're going to understand. And, you know, there's some, some of the storytelling is a little bit too deep. 
and I don't know that I would I would recommend this for younger kids, but if you've got kids like eight and up, I think that this this is something that they would probably enjoy. Also, I think as an adult, you can enjoy this as well because it's also like finding, you know, finding that place where, you know, you can be a kid again sort of thing. And you see like adults, it's not just kids dreams. You see, you see adults dreams in this as well and certain things that adults do in their dream and you're living out this whole, you know, vicarious type of thing and certain parts of slumberland are really, really fun. And just the connection between Jason Momoa's character of Flip and the character of Nemo as well, by the way, brilliantly done by Marlo Barkley. I thought that she did a great job in this. And, and you know, it's part of this, you know, it's a little girl in mourning. And how do you handle that when your dad's just suddenly gone, right? And and there's also something else that she's gone through in her life. She's had a very, very difficult childhood, to say the least, with some things that have happened to her. So, but it's But it's also, they don't play it up as too deep either. So it's not taking itself way too seriously but it's also not just fun 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 all the time it seems like director francis lawrence kind of found that happy medium there and not everybody's going to be happy with that and i understand that i'm not saying you got to love this thing regardless right i just thought there were some really good heartfelt moments i thought there were some fun moments as well could there have been a few more fun moments i think there probably could have i think they could have they could have some opportunities to have a little bit more fun with it but also, again, you can't really take away from the tenor of the storyline too much. And there's a little bit of a twist involving Flip's character that it's one of those things where the light bulb will go off over your head. and You'll go, oh, why didn't I see that? And I was kind of mad at myself because I definitely should have seen it earlier than I actually did. But then, you know, the kind of the flip switches on. You go, oh, that's interesting. And then you get something that adds the intrigue of the story about halfway through the story. Too so it's it's like if you're already invested in it like I was I found myself invested in it then you get to the point where you get to the midway point of the story or a little bit past halfway actually and it adds another layer onto that I thought that was really neat I could have done without a lot of stuff at school it's, it was kind of like all right yeah I get it you know with with her going to school and everything for the first time and I wasn't really you know I could have done without a lot of that but it also didn't distract from the main point too much, but I really did. I actually enjoyed Slumberland and, and I, I wanted to enjoy it a little bit more than I did. I'd say it's a little bit better than metal middle of the road, but I'm not going to go ahead and like give you a number rating or anything like that. I'm just saying it's a, it's a decent fantasy movie. It's not going to blow you away. Go into it with an open mind. It's a, it's got some fun characters in it. There's some great visuals in there as well. I think it's one that you should definitely Give a shot and add to your Netflix list. Slumberland now streaming on Netflix. That's going to do it for my review of Slumberland from Netflix. We'll stay in the Netflix realm, though, to talk about Wednesday, the brand new Netflix series. We'll go spoiler free on that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Nathan Darrow from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The wait is finally over. The very highly anticipated, if not just by me, Wednesday series is now streaming on Netflix. I'm going to go spoiler free with this because it's only been out for for a little bit now. Even if you're listening to this later in the week, if you're not caught up, I'm not going to be that dude, right? But basically, Wednesday, you know, pulls a I don't want to even say prank. I'm not even sure I put it that far. And she's sent to Nevermore Academy, and that's where her her mother and father met. And, you know, they want her to kind of find her place in the world, you know, like find her niche, find her people 
sort of thing. But, and this is the biggest spoiler I'll give you just in case you didn't pick this up from any of the stuff that's come out already. She has these emerging kind of like psychic abilities. She's seeing vision. She'll touch something and then she'll see a vision. And there's, you know, some nasty stuff going on at Nevermore Academy. There's, there's monsters and there's murders going on. And that's piqued the interest of the local sheriff as well. And then you've got Nevermore Academy, which is trying to, you know, gatekeep itself and, you know, not really let its secrets out. Thanks to Principal Weems, who's played by Gwendolyn Christie, brilliantly, by the way. And I just want to get this out of the way right now. Since I'm only going to be able to talk about this series in general terms anyway, since I'm not going to spoil anything. Jenna Ortega, I mean, I said that she seemed like the perfect Wednesday Adams when I saw the trailer. And guess what? She's the perfect Wednesday Adams. You want to talk about nailing a casting. If you had any doubt in your mind that Jenna Ortega was going to do a wonderful job as Wednesday Adams, throw those ideas out right now because she's fantastic as Wednesday Adams. There's so many. The mannerisms are there. That The look is there, not just from a, a, a design, makeup, and costume-wise. Just the, the, the way her, she uses her eyes and the way that she just has that, the, the facial expression. She has Wednesday Adams down to a T for sure. And yes, we do get to meet Christina Ricci's character of Marilyn Thornhill. And she plays a very interesting role, especially Wednesday's life in this series. And she's just got to be so proud seeing, seeing Jenna Ortega just do her thing. I, I, I would be like the proud mom if it was me or the proud dad in this sense of seeing, you know, just somebody take on a mantle that you made so famous. I'm making it your own. I think that Jenna Ortega absolutely does that. So she's, it's always good when the title character is your favorite thing about the series, and she's definitely my favorite thing about the series. But it's interesting because you're dealing with an older Wednesday. You're dealing with a, with more of an adolescent Wednesday. You know, she's grown up now, and you see that, you know, things aren't exactly, you know, rosy at the Adams household. She's got some friction with her mom. She's, you know, she doesn't have friction with her dad. But it's like not a super, you know, warm and fuzzy thing either with her father. So I thought that that was interesting as well. But it's just in finding her coming into her own in this series. And I love the fact that they don't really make it about the Adams family. They actually make it about Wednesday and the school and the mystery. That is one of the cool things about this series is that it's called Wednesday for a reason, but you still think, okay, it's still Adam's family. So they're going to, you know, kind of probably, you know, bump off of the family a little bit. They don't, we don't see a whole lot of the actual family in this other than thing. Things actually a pretty big part of this show. And that's fine. I think that thing fits in very, very well with Wednesday. And it's almost like that anchor kind of, you know, getting her back home just a little bit. Right. And then you've got her classmates, right? Like Xavier, I think is a very interesting character played by Percy Haynes White. That was a character that I was taking a, a, taking a very big interest in. Also, Hunter Dohan's character of Ty- Tyler Galpin, who, you know, he has kind of a, I don't want to say relationship with Wednesday. I don't think I would go that far. But you see them, you know, they, they have a little bit of an interesting back and forth as well. And then her rivalry with Bianca Barclay's character played by Joy Sunday. And I love their, their kind of back and forth in this series. That's always fun. But then you've got Enid Sinclair played by Emma Myers. And that's her roommate. Oh, this is the, the way that they are almost polar opposites of each other. And I'm not going to do the whole oh, opposites attract. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say that anytime you can get the two of them together, it's really, really fun. And you kind of watch them I don't want to necessarily say learn from each other, 
but you know, like grow with one another is maybe the better way to put it. It's just it's a really fun dynamic to watch. So that pairing the two of them together, pairing Jenna Ortega together with her with Emma Myers, I think was just a really really smart way to go. And you even see how they're when they get into their rooms and how the room is divided together is really really fun too. And you get to see. You know, typical school stuff that you would see, but, you know, magnified because it's a place like Nevermore Academy, right? So you take something, you know, as simple as a, you know, it's almost like the houses of Harry Potter, right? There's these there's these little cliques and there's these little sections off of, of, of certain, you know, like the werewolves have their their own section and, and you know, the sirens have their section, things like that. And then, you know, they have competitions to see, you know, which like which house wins, and you take certain things like that, but you magnify it because it's a place called like Nevermore Academy. But then you also blend this in with this mystery involving a character named Rowan and what's going on there. And I'm not going to spoil any kind of secrets with that character or anything. But you, you sort of mix in the intriguing nature of the school and how Wednesday's life is evolving with this mystery, and it's, it's you know, I, I thought it might be a little bit corny doing the whole, like, investigative thing where, you know, she's trying to solve, like, a murder or she's trying to solve these mysteries at the school, but it's not corny at all. It fits in to kind of Wednesday also finding her place and discovering things about herself, too, by the way, because that's part of it as well. She's discovering certain things about herself with these new psychic abilities, and she's trying to, you know find her place in, you know, how she feels about her family as well. So you're taking all of these different elements and mixing them into the eight episodes of this series, and it just works so well. I mean, bravo to Tim Burton and company for being able to take all of these different pieces and weave them together into something that just completely makes sense and is a lot of fun at that. And there are certain times you're going to laugh at certain things about this show, you you know, you might feel a little bit bad about it afterwards, but you're going to laugh about it anyway. But I think that these characters are, especially being teenagers, you're worried that, you know, if you're watching this as an adult, I mean, is this going to be an annoying like teen drama type thing? Is there going to be a little bit too much on the teenager side? As an adult, this didn't bother me at all. I was just really captivated by these characters and the situation and the story itself that I don't think the whole teenage vibe bother me at all almost had like a 10 things I hate about you vibe as far as chemistry was concerned so and that's a classic right that's a cult classic so it kind of reminded me of that as far as this as far as the dynamic between the teenagers were concerned where that wasn't annoying at all so I I just really really I had high hopes for this Wednesday series I thought maybe I was going to get set my expectations too high with this I absolutely didn't do that Really, really enjoyed the Wednesday series, and I really, really hope that we get to see more of this going forward. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish, not really spoilery review of Wednesday from Netflix, which is now streaming. Up next, I'm just going to share some quick thoughts on Bob Iger coming back since there's really no nerd news. Thanksgiving week. There's no nerd news. We'll talk about that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Nobu, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Never bet against the backslide. It's time for nerd news. And the one nerd news item there actually is, is that Bob Iger is returning as the head man at Disney. Bob Chappick is out. Bob Iger is in. So what does this mean? I'm not going to go into the whole, you know, like 
ESPN, CNN news version of all the ins and outs and the details of him returning, blah, 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 blah. Let's talk about what this means long term, okay? Because remember, one of the things, and I want to start out with this, one of the things that Bob Iger was not really for was a more adult version of Disney+. Plus. Now, that's what Chappick's done since he's come in. We've seen titles like Deadpool be added to Disney+. Plus. We're seeing a little bit more of an adult tilt to Disney+. Plus. You know, not completely. It's still Disney+, Plus classic in, in that sense. But you're seeing, you know, more adult content being added onto there. And I use the term adult very, very loosely. It's not like we're getting too, too adult here. But at the same time, this is not something that Bob Iger was for. So... There's this. There's the fear of well, you know, is he going to turn back the clock on this? Is he going to remove certain titles to make it more family friendly? But here's the deal. Here's why I wouldn't worry about that. Because a, it's working. B, nobody's complained about this. Not not you know that's important enough to listen to anyway. And quite frankly, it's working. You know, and as a smart businessman, I think Bob Iger is smart enough to know coming in. There's no sense in changing something that's working for you. So he's going to see that adding these certain titles has been working and you don't really want to mess with a good thing there. Here's the only problem, though, is that now will he continue to let these more mature titles be made? Will he will he allow certain things to now be produced now that he's back in charge or is he going to sm- slam the brakes on some of this stuff. I think he's going to see that that's one thing he was probably wrong about and that he's going to let that sort of breathe a little bit. I think we are going to see these, you know, more mature titles staying on Disney Plus. I think we're going to see them made a little bit more. There's plenty of wholesome stuff that you can make too. It's not like you're not able to do that now by adding more adult titles. So I think that that's something that he's going to look at and go, you know what, maybe we should keep doing that. Now, do I think we're going to get a ton of them? No, but I didn't think we were going to get a ton of them under Chappic either. So I think that it's going to give the appearance of we're not getting these things when, we, when in fact, we probably weren't going to be getting a ton of them in the first place. So I think that that's something that's going to be a little bit overblown. But you have to keep in mind that, I mean, when he was in charge, I mean, those were the golden years of the MCU, right? So you have to think about that a little bit. He oversaw quite a bit of success for the MCU and for Disney too, for that matter, Disney animation studios and live action Disney as well. And quite frankly, Pixar didn't do very well under Chappix watch. We didn't get a lot of really good Pixar movies. I don't think, I think, you know, Disney animation studios took a little bit of a step back as well. And I think some of the, you know, there were some other aspects you could argue that, you know, star Wars was maybe has maybe been a little bit better under Chappix than it has been, under Iger, but how much, how many of that stuff was, how much of that stuff was in Iger's purview anyway? So I think that there's going to be some good and some bad with this. I think that there are certainly reasons to be happy about Iger being back. I think there's certain reasons to be a little bit concerned about him being back, but I don't think I see anything really that scares me a ton. I do think this could be a very interesting change of pace for Marvel though. I think that if it affects anybody, it affects Marvel Studios and maybe not necessarily the Disney Plus series, but the Marvel Studios movies, I think that we'll see this effect a little bit more. Will there be some shifting around? Will there be some projects 
that are maybe put on the back burner or will there be some projects that are moved more to the front burner? Like Blade is a very interesting project for me with, with Iger in charge. Is Blade going to be something that's a priority under Bob Iger or is he going to kick the can further down the road? And if you do that, you're, you're running the risk of losing your lead there as well. And what is his going to be, what's going to be his decision on Star Wars, because we were also looking at, I know Kathleen Kennedy is in charge of Lucasfilm, blah, 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 blah. Okay, whatever. But he's still going to have some say in this. And this was supposed to be the end of the Skywalker saga, right? Well, is that going to be the case now that Iger's back in charge? Is he going to want a little bit more of that? Are we going to see maybe more of the Star Wars prequels that we saw under him that we were not seeing? under? And I'm talking about prequel movies like Solo and stuff like that. Is because those were supposed to be over now under when when Chappick took over is there going to be a little little bit of a reverse there with Iger back in charge I think that hopefully what I want him to do is take that step back from when he was gone and say okay what worked while I was gone what was it that wasn't working while I was gone and let's correct that but let's not say just because because when people take over or they take back over a certain position they go, well, if it wasn't my decision, I'm just going to throw it out. It's, it's not something that, that I decided, so I'm just not going to do it. That's a mistake that gets made by higher-ups a lot. I really hope that a step back is taken to look and say, okay, Chappick didn't do everything wrong. Did he do everything right? Absolutely not. But he didn't do everything wrong either. So I'm hoping that you can you know, kind of step outside of that a little bit and say, here's what worked, here's what didn't, and find the little tweaks that need to be made to get Disney back where they're really cooking on all cylinders again in all departments because they certainly were that for a while. But I do think if we're just, if we're really looking at it objectively, there was a lull in certain areas where Chappick was involved. So I do think that having Iger back and however long he's back, we don't know that he's necessarily back for the long haul here. Keep that in mind because he he did leave once already. So I'm going to be very interested to see, what the first thing is that he does, because I think that'll really set the tone for what we can expect going forward. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guest from Criminal Minds Evolution. Make sure you're watching that on Paramount Plus and all the other great shows that I talked about movies, because there's really some good stuff out there from Thanksgiving weekend. If you want more information on us, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, at downandnerdypod on TikTok. I'm really going to start doing some different stuff on TikTok. I think I'm going to make that the weird fun place where I just post some random videos that hopefully that you guys will enjoy. Also make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps out a ton. And remember... You never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. 
as Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast. Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.